when people move into this third option, and I'm seeing this in my neighborhood, there's disruption. There is transformation that's available to us in the spirit um, that wasn't available to us before. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. I'm Alan. And I'm David. And today I talk about peacemaking. And this is not quite what you think. Even the word peacemaking has all kinds of connotations. And today's guest has been called too progressive in some rooms and too conservative in other rooms and is looking for this thing that we call the third way, another option beyond attacking or avoiding fight or flight in our culture. And so today we're going to talk about polarization in our culture. Um, David, what are your thoughts on this? How is polarization affecting our culture today? Well, for, for me personally, and we, we've talked about the Enneagram on this podcast, but I'm a, a nine, which would be considered a peacemaker. And so quite frankly, like the culture can be exhausting where it's just this divided, polarized argument that you feel like you have to come at it fist flying or just avoid social media altogether. And you have friends, I'm sure, that say, yeah, I just deleted that thing. I don't look at social media anymore. I don't look at comment sections. And that could be a way to stay sane. I'm not saying that we shouldn't avoid those things. But I think most of us look around us and we see just the the weight of conflict in our culture um, and we, we wonder there's gotta be a different way of doing it. And I think we need to be leading the way as God's people. I mean, we literally have Jesus as our guide who, who stands in the middle of aisles and, um, just provides a robust example for us as his people to live there in the margins and, um, really be a bridge. How can we be a bridge between, uh, a lot of anger right now, and also a lot of avoidance, which isn't healthy either. So this is such a timeless message of love, but also a timely message of how to do that in sort of the guts um, of our culture today. And so I, I really love this conversation. I think it's needed. I had three or four takeaways for me personally. I said, man, I need to to sit with that. And so as you're listening to this today, would encourage you to listen with an open mind. Uh, I'm married to an Enneagram 9 as well, and she teaches me so much about peacemaking, about unity, about standing in the middle, uh, about people being seen and known and heard and loved. Uh, and if you're a kingdom leader, I know that that's at your heart, to make others feel known, seen, and loved. And today, we'll help you do that. So enjoy my conversation with Dan White. Well, hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. I'm excited to have my friend Dan White on the podcast. Dan, thanks for jumping in today. Oh, thanks, Alan. It's so good to be with you, man. So Dan and I had written books in similar kind of niches, had heard of each other, and had the opportunity to sit and kind of dream and scheme out in Seattle. Uh, I remember some good food and drinks. I remember some amazing views, some talk about church planting, <laughs> and uh, so I knew we'd continue to, to track along. And uh, man, I'm just really excited about your new book, Love Over Fear. And so we're going to be digging into this idea of peacemaking today. Uh, and obviously, it's in the context of polarization. So excited to crack that open. Uh, but first, why don't you just tell us a little bit of your story? How did you get to where you are today in the context of writing a book about peacemaking? 
Wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, how did I get to where I am today? Well, uh, I've been pastoring for about 20 years, um, married for 20 years as well. And about 10 years ago, so in the middle of that um, that ministry um, story, I had a major disruption, significant um, kind of uh, upheaval where I had a woman uh, who I love dearly come to me uh, after church one Sunday and say, Dan, I don't think I can stay in the church, uh, this church, uh, knowing that there are people who are so progressive, liberal. Um, I don't feel like I can stay here. Um, I feel like I'm being judged. And she said she had to leave. And uh, I pleaded with her and told her she was loved. Her voice was, was welcomed at the table. Well, and fast forward two weeks later, and um, a, a couple came to me with the same intense uh, concern, but from the opposite perspective. And uh, they said, Dan, I don't think I can stay in this church, knowing that there are people with such conservative beliefs who hold oppressive uh, thoughts. Uh, we don't feel like we can stay here and be ourselves. And I gave them the same response. You're loved. Your voice is welcomed at the table. Please stay. And uh, they left anyways. That, uh, 10 years ago, uh, honestly, I didn't have an answer for how to lead um, in the midst of these two factions. And they really represented the factions in my local church um, and what was happening in my neighborhood. I know, know that, you know, this is 10 years ago and now today it's even more hostile, but I didn't really know how to lead people through uh, that. A lot of my training uh, for leadership was around how to preach a good sermon, um, how to assemble a great program, how to uh, get people on board with vision. Um, but I didn't really know how to navigate people through uh, really discipleship um, when you are at odds with another. Uh, so I didn't have any tools in my toolbox back then and found myself uh, at a loss. Um, so that's, you know, 10 years ago, that's, that's, that stirred up a storm in me and began this hunt for how to lead people into not love as a sentiment, but love as a real rooted, embodied, um, practical um, theology. How do I, how do I call people into some real serious love practices? Um, and so that's 10 years ago. And, and now we, here we are. Um, and hopefully I've learned some things along the way. One one thing, Dan, that I think we really connect on is neighborhood, is place, is rootedness. You wrote in Subterranean about that. And so you're not a thought leader just sort of lobbing bombs or launching grenades <laughs> at this idea. Um, talk about the neighborhood, because I want to stop there. Beyond just, you're not writing a book into this. Yeah. This is sort of growing right. in your heart in the context of a neighborhood. So how has that impacted you needing to push into peacemaking. Yeah, I mean my my understanding of God in Christ is that the incarnation um, isn't just for Christmas. <laughs> it is it is um, 
the most pivotal and phenomenal statement about how God brings about change. And that is um, he moved into the Nazareth, Nazareth neighborhood and um, embodied a new way of being, the inbreaking kingdom of God. And so that theology of the incarnation presses me to take my neighborhood seriously. Um, I believe the neighborhood is the smallest and most uh, potent unit of change. Um, a lot of people, and, and even my own flesh, wants to be known for more than what's happening in my neighborhood. I want to make a name for myself. Um, but it's the neighborhood that God is calling us to um, contend for the beauty and brokenness. And so um, all of my work has been birthed out of the uh Man, the uh, the labor and longevity of trying to love my neighborhood well, um, and you're you know all theories and theology get really humbled when they have to contend and work for change in a real place, a particular right. place. You know your your ideas, <laughs> you realize are idealism and not realism when they have to really work in a local place. So for me, Syracuse is the city I dwell in, but my, my neighborhood on the Southwest side is where for the last 10 years, um, I, my wife and I, and a community of people have been trying to, um, listen for what God's doing here and then join God. And then also contend for the areas, um, of beauty and brokenness. And we do that for, through various, um, various things. We, we care for refugees. You know, we, we've marked out, um, two or three streets that we're really, um, feel rooted in and, um, have discerned uh, what God wants us to do here. Um, but all my writing kind of comes out after that practice of, of getting kicked around for a while. And, and, uh, so that's the, I don't know if that's what you were asking, but that's really where my, my, uh, writing is rooted in. Yeah. Where the rubber meets the road. I mean, these are real conversations, real stories, um, I think about yes. my neighbors on the corner, and I think about during the election. I mean, probably the most polarizing national political thing that we can think of that whole season. Um, all I wanted to do was just ask my neighbors, "How are you processing all of this?" And they wanted to talk. And you know, people say, yes. "Well, what did what did they what they say to you afterwards, or whatever?" And I, oh, they never asked me. They just wanted to talk. They were just so glad that they, that we had this safe space on the corner where somebody could. We could continue right. to talk about that, not one time, um, you know, not just in an event, but literally week after week. Um, and so when you say polarized, um, this is such yes. a timely book and obviously the timeless message of loving our neighbor, but it's so, so timely. Um, what what feedback are you getting, uh, you know, from around the country on such a timely book? Well, you know, there's a growing exhaustion I think we're we're fatigued by how much uh, fear we have between each other and how much hatred is 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 being tossed back and forth between left and right. And um, most of our interactions, this is the feedback I'm getting, is that most of people's interactions with people that are unlike them are through social media and through technology, not through real time relationship. Um, 
And so I, I love to tell stories about what's happening in my neighborhood because um, I, it's really difficult to explain how to love somebody until you actually have to engage them physically with all five of your senses. Um, and so the, the book's feedback is that it's tapping into this void, this chasm um, between um, between you know the, the tribes that we hang out with and some of the some of the research that's um, coming out right now with Pew Research Report and Barna is that seventy two percent of conservatives only hang out with conservatives and seventy eight percent of progressives only hang out with progressives or only have progressive friends um, you know and those stats are pretty much the same um, we, we we are further and further moving into these us versus them categories and not having engagement with each other other than tossing verbal grenades at each other online. So I love to tell this one story. I don't know if I have time, Alan, about what happened in my neighborhood was that um, um, once one morning, um, it was Tuesday morning, I was walking outside early in the morning, eight o'clock, walking to our local coffee shop and uh, looked across the street and um, a neighbor, one of my neighbors, had uh, un unscrolled a Confederate flag off their porch. That's really unusual to see up here in the Northeast in New York. Um, you know, we, we see that stuff on the news, but it, it typically you don't see that kind of thing. Uh, and especially in an urban environment, you don't see that. And so it really shocked me. And at that moment, I thought, well, uh, you shouldn't have done that. And I was just about to move on and walk to the cafe but uh, I sensed the spirit was inviting me into something deeper. And immediately I thought of Shauna, who lived across the street from Charlie, who had unscrolled that flag. And depending, you know, no matter what your perspective on this is, the Confederate flag and, and displaying it, um, that flag I knew was going to have an impact on Shauna. Uh, Shauna's a black single mom good friend of mine so is charlie but i knew that shauna was going to walk out her door that morning and it was going to it would hit her like a tsunami um and so i knocked on her door and uh you know she answers the door hair all disheveled because she just woke up uh and i'm like shauna um don't look outside and <laughs> and she did of course uh she looked over my shoulder she saw the flag across the street and it it just slammed her and she began to tear up and I asked her Shauna what can I do for you um, I'm so sorry about this um, you want me to talk to him and she said no uh, I don't know what to do um, let, give, uh, she walked to her table I sat down at her kitchen kitchen table with her and she just she just groaned and uh, uh was disheveled and didn't know what to say. And I said, Shauna, you have all the time you need. Um, I can help. I, I will be there for you. If you want to go talk to Charlie about this, I will. And she said, no, give me a couple days. I just, I, I need to think through this. So she's a church going lady. Uh, and she went to small group that night and she presented this to her small group. She said, Charlie did this across the street. Uh, what should I do? And half the group said, uh, let's go over to his house tonight um, at 11 o'clock midnight, cut down the flag and, 
you know, leave a note behind saying, um, you know, you're a hate monger or something like that. You, 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 you know, they wanted to leave some pejorative note on his door and cut down the flag. Um, the other half of the group, um, said, Shauna, just ignore it. It's going to go away. Um, um, just let it go. He'll eventually take it down. Well, Shauna didn't feel really good about either of those options. She felt like one was going to just make the problem worse, attacking him in some way. And she felt like the other option was just avoiding the problem and really not bringing any transformation to Charlie. And, uh, she next morning she contacted me and she's like dan can you come over i need to talk this through and she shared with me what happened a small group and she said i feel like i have to actually talk to charlie i have to appeal to him i need to and i love the word she used here i need to do, i need to befriend him uh which ended up making the subtitle in my book befriending enemies and um this this uh this Disruption in our neighborhood um, was uh, really being watched by everybody. <laughs> um, you know how the word how word passes and and gossip the gossip chain and um, you know everybody started to know what was going on. They started being clued into um, Shauna what Shauna was doing and what Charlie had done and. The Christian local Christian community, as well as the neighbors, were all abuzz. And so Shauna went across the street, um, asked me if I could pray for her, um, asked if we could babysit her um, her little one, Grayson, while she went across the street. And she said, if I don't come out of his house in two hours, come and get me. So obviously she has fear, deep fear about this relational engagement and crossing this boundary. Uh, literally, it's across the street, so there's this boundary between her and him. Um, and she knocks on his door. He doesn't answer, and she leaves a note and a blueberry pie. <laughs> uh, and she says, uh, Charlie, wow. um, you're my neighbor. I just want to talk to you about your flag. I'm not angry. Can we just chat? And she leaves him a blueberry pie. Two weeks go by, and he never responds. Obviously, the blueberry pie has been eaten. He took it, um, but he doesn't respond. She's living in this turmoil. Her and I, are, we continue to talk throughout those two weeks, just trying to process what to do. She sees him pull into his driveway one, one, one afternoon while she's out walking Grayson, and she's like paparazzi. She just goes up to his car while he's pulled into the driveway um, and knocks on his window and he tries to ignore her. And she says, Char Charlie, can we just talk? And he gets out of the car and tries to actually pretend she's not there. And they start, she's walking up the stairs and she's like, Charlie, I just want to talk. I just want to talk. She keeps telling, I just want to talk, get to the door. He finally turns to her and looks her in the eyes um, and says, and I don't, you know, I use this language she, because this is what he said. He said, damn it. Shauna, get out of my face. She's like, can we just talk? And he said, fine, come over tonight. So she she gets this, she, she's able to talk with him that night, um, but she knows that it's not going to be a great engagement. And so she goes over that night. Um, this is a long story. And she walks into his house and she sees signs of life in his house. 
She sees uh, his Lazy Boy recliner. She sees uh, his the news um, blaring. She sees starts make realizing he lives alone. He's got grandkids. She sees grandkids' pictures on the wall. She sees uh, the paraphernalia from um, and, and honor from war that he'd been in. In sees his medals. Um, and they have this one hour conversation. The first half, they just started, they kind of made uh, small talk. Eventually they get into it and she's like, can you take your flag down? It really hurts me. Um, he argues with her for a while. Um, but eventually near the end of the conversation, he says, fine, I'll take it down because I don't want to make things worse. Um, now, this seems like a win, of course, like she got him to take the flag down and she got some contact with him. But it it, it leaves Shauna wanting more. Um, she wanted him to say he was sorry. He never did. So uh, fast forward uh, five months and we're in the thick of winter here in Syracuse. Uh, snow everywhere. I don't know if you guys get this kind of snow, but I mean, we get feet of snow. And it's hard to shovel out unless you have a snowblower. And she looks out her window and she sees Charlie shoveling out her driveway. And this is the first contact since that engagement um, in his house. And he's shoveling out her driveway. She goes outside. She says, Charlie, you don't have to do that. Thank you. And he goes, no, I just wanted to help you out. I know how hard it is to shovel out. And she's like, I'm so grateful. Thank you. And he says, hey, Shauna, if you ever need babysitting <laughs> I'd watch Grayson for you <laughs> a wa- you know this and she walks into the house and she tells herself there is no way over my dead body am I ever letting that guy watch my kid well in a moment a couple weeks later in a moment of desperation while Grayson's taking a nap she calls him up and says hey I just got to go to the grocery <laughs> store for 20 minutes can you come over and watch Grayson you don't have to do anything he's already napping uh, he comes over she goes grocery store she goes to the grocery store does it in 10 minutes instead of 20 minutes she comes home think you know walks in the house thank you so much tries to relieve him of his duty but he just seems to be lingering around and doesn't want to leave Eventually, she's like, Charlie, uh, what's up? Uh, you, you need a chat? You know, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, can we just talk for a second? And he sits down at her <laughs> her dining room table without permission and says, Shauna, I've been thinking a lot about what happened. And I'm realizing that you're my first black friend. You know, I did say, he's like, I did some tour, I did some tours uh, in over in the Kuwait war and I had some black friends there, but you're my first real black friend in my life. And, uh, and I realize I'm a little bit racist and he's like, I am sorry. And, uh, I don't know what to do, but, uh, I want to figure this out. I mean, she just starts bawling like a baby and he starts to break down emotionally and, um, I don't want to tell – this is a long story, but I don't want to tell any more of it. Just, But I just wanted to get us to that place to realize that um, if it weren't for her choosing a third way beyond attacking or avoiding and instead moving into this um, – the third A I call affection. She moved with affection towards him. Um, his receptivity, his pores for listening 
and being open to something he never was open to would not have been opened. Um, and this is this is the kind of work that um, I am excited about in the neighborhood, and I'm excited about happening um, in in Christian community when we st- stop um, settling for the two fear-based options of attacking each other, you know, trying to, trying to pummel each other with arguments or avoiding each other. And just, you know, just, just being with our tribe and people that think just like us, when people move into this third option, and I'm seeing this in my neighborhood, there's disruption. There is transformation that's available to us in the spirit um, that wasn't available to us before. Um, not every circumstance kind of works out that way that it did with Sean and Charlie, but um, I don't think that we've been giving it an honest effort and an honest chance to even have space. Um, so this is, you know, this is to me, this is the work of discipleship and the work of the kingdom and the work of leading people into this third option um, right now. If you just came on and shared that story then today would be worth it. And of course, guys, <laughs> grab the book. You can hear more stories, you know, hear the principles there. But I, I love that. And I want to, I don't want to skip over that too quickly. Attack or avoid, our world says, you know, the polarization, that those are the only two options. Mm. Third yes. way, people of the kingdom, there's something in between. And um, you're, you're talking about being a bridge between these different groups. And um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, you're kind of in a disruptive space to some. Um, this idea probably seems uber conservative to others. This idea probably seems uber liberal. You probably get labeled with these things as well. Um, what are yeah. you learning yeah. in being a third way person in the kingdom? Mm. That's a great question, Alan. Um, well, what I saw in Shauna and what I'm seeing in others in my neighborhood and what, what I'm also feeling in myself is that to, to choose this third option of affection, you will be labeled. Um, and this is, what, this is why we need bravery and leadership um, to move beyond what is, um, what is tribal and culturally polarizing. Um, conservatives will see affection towards um, – uh, towards liberals or progressives as um, compromising, you will be labeled a compromiser, compromising the truth if you start to move towards progressives with affection. If you're progressive and you move towards conservatives with affection, you will be labeled as complicit with injustice. Um, and the this is what tribalism does to us. It, it, it it makes us panicked that if I move out of my tribe to move into this third option, I will be outcasted from the tribe I belong to. Um, I I th- I know Shauna experienced this, uh, Alan, was that there she was not welcomed um, and understood in her own tribe, but she wasn't even also understood amongst uh, um, those who would side with Charlie. Um, and this is why at this moment, and I think this cultural moment we're in, we need leaders and people who are brave enough to, um, to, to resist the either or that we're stuck in. And that's what polarization does to us. It gives us uh, only two options, an either or option. And either or thinking, um, false choice 
type of uh, schemas where you're either for someone or you're against somebody or you hate someone or you love somebody or you're this side or that side um, is 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 fueled by fear. Um, so I don't know if that's what you were asking. Yeah, um, very helpful. But that's, that's what um, – I'm experiencing is how to stay rooted in Christ um, when the only options I'm given are you're with us or you're, you're against us. So Dan, talk a little bit about social media. We know there's an issue on social media. In fact, people are abandoning it just because it's a bad scene and saying it's not even worth it anymore. It's so polarized in that space. Um, mm. Give us some thoughts of your perspective on social media in the lens of avoiding attacking or affection oh good one well uh i'm not an advocate for abandoning uh that space social media um i think in many ways uh you know every 10 years we're gonna the 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 new domain of presence is going to be expanded and so social media right now is one of the places that we have to dwell we just have to learn how to dwell there. <laughs> so um, it is an it can be quite an antagonistic environment. Um, one of the things that's happening through social media is that the very medium itself, because it's not requiring us to engage with all our senses, is um, is is that is that it's tapping into our amygdala, uh, which is the primal part of our brain um, that really only offers us two options, attacking or avoiding. And because we don't have to make eye contact and uh, we don't have to smell and we don't have to sit still and we don't have to, uh, we don't have uh, touch, um, it, it kind of bypasses um, interpersonal presence and which makes fear-based reactions a lot easier. And, um, so that being said, um, I think um, practicing affection on social media should actually be uh, the way uh, that Christians engage and in some sense disrupt the medium. Um, I like to use the language of compassionate curiosity um, to talk about how to engage with people that are unlike you on social media rather than control and coercion. Um, um, we're being invited into um, a peculiar compassion towards people that are unlike us and a curiosity. Um, the, the part of the neuroscience that I do in the book that's, that, that is really still very infant in, in what we're finding out about our brains is that um, when we argue with people, when we batter people with uh, verbal grenades or with uh, facts and information, which often happens online. Um, you know, I see somebody who says uh, who's pro-Trump or pro-Hillary or pro-immigration or anti, you know, pro put up the wall. And I try to beat them back with an argument or shame them with some kind of verbal verbal takedown. Um, part of me thinks that somehow I'm winning or that I'm actually changing their mind. But what neuroscience is exposing is that our brains don't respond to information that way. Uh, it actually makes us deflect and double down even harder when someone offers us information that is indicting. Um, 
So we think that we're tra- changing or creating change, but actually we're creating a worse void and um, compelling people to, to dig down even harder. The neuroscience around this is called backfiring. Um, and so our, our arguments are actually backfiring against us. So a better way to engage on social media is through compassionate curiosity. And that is asking inquisitive questions. That's, that's moving towards people with compassion um, um, with your actual typed messages online. And um, I, I try to do this uh, in social media, and I have found that it's opened up uh, conversation and connection um, and dismantled the automatic um, anger and angst that's between, um, you know, me and another online. Um, I have, pr- I, at this point, I have sworn off, Alan, uh, trying to argue with people online or even responding to errors online. If I see someone say something and I disagree with them, I don't try to correct them online because I know what it's doing. It's not bringing transformation. It's actually causing them to to double down even harder. So, um, yeah, that's just, I mean, that's just my best response to how to engage right now. That's good. And again, there's research to back these things up. And then to think about Jesus's approach was questioned so much of the time. Like perhaps he was on to third way living before we could even name it. And so I love (laughs) that we have a guide, uh, for this. And, um, I think could be one of our greatest apologetics is, you know, that, that, compassionate curiosity that you, that you talk about. I love that. Um, we could talk all day about this. I'm sure we will, um, sometime over coffee or, or a good meal. I love what you're doing there in Syracuse. And thanks for bringing us to the space of writing a book's a labor of love. And so thanks for chaining yourself to the desk, Dan, uh, guys, I'd encourage you to pick up this book. Um, and beyond that, we just want to hear from leaders on this podcast about being ridiculously practical about health and impact. We want to do this for the long haul. And I know there have been some changes you've even shared online, just things you've kind of peeled back from your life in order to get more healthy. And, you know, maybe it's uh, physical exercise or eating or reading habits or Sabbath. What are just a couple of practical things that you've done in this last season um, to get or stay healthy um, as just a human and a leader? Yeah, my wife and I have uh, committed to a, um, a, a rule and rhythm of life. Um, that, you know, that's, that's really just big, sexy language to just say uh, um, healthy habits. <laughs> um, and 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 a, just a few of those is that um, from Friday night till uh, Sunday night um, we have uh, tech blackout weekends. Um, we realized that so much of our weekend was um, being consumed with technology that we weren't being present um, in the way that we wanted to to each other, to our kids, to our our, our sidewalks and streets in our neighborhood. We wanted to find a way to. Um, get just become a more attuned and we realized that technology was actually the biggest distraction so for this is not for everybody alan but for us on friday night um i put my phone in a basket um in the front of our house and i leave it there and don't touch it for two and a half days and it is glorious um and it allows me to i think it affects my anxiety honestly that um i feel less anxious i feel uh more at ease. I'm not checking email. 
Um, that's one practice. Um, a second practice is that on Monday nights, um, my wife and I, um, we've been doing this for about two years. Um, and it's still, it's still a, a discipline and a struggle to keep it sacred. But every, on Monday night, um, we, uh, we mark that out from, uh, seven o'clock till nine o'clock. We get together. Um, she gets a glass of wine. I get, um, my Woodford Reserve uh, bourbon, and we sit down and uh, we share about um, three things. Uh, we do this every Monday. Uh, what are you afraid of uh, right now? Where do you feel anxiety? And where do you feel anger? And we just reflect and talk and laugh and, and poke at those three questions and um, and it's a way for us to commune in the middle of our, you know, the tyranny of busyness. And, um, and we have found that the spirit meets us there. And a lot of times, uh, what we thought was, um, was understood between us, wasn't understood. And those things become more over and get excavated to the surface. So in some, that, that Monday night has been really life giving for her and I, um, and I could go on and on. We've 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 peppered into our life the, the, some of these rhythms to to park and to reflect and to find oxygen, um, like that one on the weekend and one on Monday. Um, those are just the two that kind of come to my head as as I'm talking about finding soul health for my myself. Really good stuff, man. I that's one of, become one of my favorite parts of the podcast is just figuring out this is one or two little things, ridiculously practical. Um, so simple and could be so contagious in that. Dan, I've loved this conversation. Again, if you're listening, pick up the book. It is a timely message, um, but really it's this timeless principle of, of loving our neighbors and ultimately being peacemakers. What does that look like in 21st century? What does that look like in your hood? What does that look like in your place, in your relationships, um, and even online? Uh, dare I say we can be peacemakers online. Uh, Dan, where can people find you and learn from you? Uh, well, we have a website launched called loveoverfearproject.com. Uh, it's a fun website. It's got music on there and uh, a free discipleship curriculum based on the book um, and then um, the book itself. And then my Twitter handle is Dan White Jr. And uh, that's where I say a lot of silly, stupid things. <laughs> awesome. Well, we can go uh, check in with you there. I love your great follow on Twitter. Dan, thanks for what you're doing. Keep it up in the neighborhood and your family and of course online. Man, what a great episode. There's so much wisdom in there. So many things that we can take away and apply to our lives. Alan, what were some things that really uh, jumped out to you? Of course, it's got to be the story in the neighborhood for me. I love those stories. We try to dwell really closely with our neighbors and I've been a part of some of those really amazing moments when God breaks in and, and does something. So I, I love that, that this is real. It has flesh on it. It comes from the neighborhood with Dan. But honestly, the term compassionate curiosity really rung true. That's actually who I try to be and how I try to engage on social media, um, to be asking questions, to truly want to know what's going on below the surface and how does it make this person tick. And then, of course, just the idea that there is a third way beyond fight or flight, beyond uh, attacking or avoiding, but actually that third way of affection, of love. And uh, of course, a challenge and one we've wrestled with through through the ages 
Um, and we certainly don't have the market cornered on it, but I think Dan has put some really meaningful words um, back to, to things we've known for a long time. Yeah. And as I process this tension in my own life, I think the thing that I keep coming back to, um, and Dan touched on it a little bit, but what's my motivation in approaching conflict? Is it justification? Like I'm going to do everything I can within this conversation to justify myself, my actions, my beliefs, um, or is it restoration? I'm going to seek uh, restoration within this relationship, restoration within the community, restoration within this conflict and this problem that we can work towards together. And not to get too preachy, although um, that's often what I do, but as Christians, we have this amazing opportunity to come from a posture that we are already justified through Christ, that we don't have to try to manufacture our justification through outside sources of winning arguments and making sure that our tribe wins and that uh, everyone around us knows um, that we are completely justified in everything that we've done and think and say and do and all of that. And so um, that might be helpful for you of, of what is your motivation? Is it justification, justifying yourself or restoration in your neighborhood and in your world and in your relationships. Um, it's been really, really helpful for me. Alan, anything else that stuck out to you from this podcast? Well, I think the the danger of tribalism, of just being around people who uh, look like us, act like us, talk like us, read the same things that we read, uh, and am always challenged to get outside of that usual box, which is one reason that I love proximity. Um, in, in a neighborhood, you're going to have some kind of diversity of thoughts, of beliefs, of ways of life, uh, pain, anger, uh, background, baggage, whatever that is. Get with people who are not like you. Guys, as always, we want to leave you with a specific question or two for you, for your team, for your spouse, for your friends. And just have one very specific question today. What is one specific way you will move away from attacking or avoiding and into affection. What is one specific way you will practice affection to those people around you? Guys, we just want to encourage you. Not only can you go the distance and lead without losing your soul, but you can be a third way person. There is a third option. And I hope today's episode gives you hope as a kingdom ambassador, as a leader, and as a friend to many. Thanks again for following along and joining us on this journey of having conversations around health and leadership. We pray that they are impactful to you. Um, I know they've been impactful for us as we've had these conversations and even edited these conversations. They speak so much life into us. So if you found them valuable, please, please, please um, share this, uh, rate, review, um, subscribe on whatever platform that you find these podcasts. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. And so please tell your friends so that we can get these conversations in more and more leaders' earbuds. And so thanks again for listening, and we will see you on the next episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. So long.